Uh, well, uh, if you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be in Daniel tonight uh, in chapter 1. Starting in verse 8, if you don't have your Bible, and if you didn't grab one from the end of your row, I have magical words that will pop up on the screen. And it says this, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Jumping forward to verse 14. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Let's pray. God, we admit that you are beautiful. God, we thank you for the beauty that you've revealed to us through your word, God, through nature, God, through the people around us. God, we thank you that you are constantly at work, that you're not a hands-off God, but you are someone who's involved creating beauty all around us every day. God, we just thank you for that. Lord, we pray that as this semester kicks off, that, Lord, we would be looking for that beauty. That, God, we would be looking for your movement. That, Lord, this semester would not just be identified as our fall of 2013 or as our first semester of college. God, we pray that this semester would be identified as the semester where we saw you move, where we saw you work. Lord, we pray that you would just move tonight. That, God, you would use this next 45 minutes. God, you would speak. You would change our hearts. You would draw us to you. God, I pray that you would kill the man that I am. That, God, you would destroy anything that I'm bringing. God, we pray that these words would be yours. Lord, I pray that you would use the foolishness of what I preach. God, to bring your gospel. Lord, we pray this all according to your will. Amen. Well, I've been around College Station uh, for 25 years. I have lived in this glorious town. Uh, and one of my favorite things about living in College Station uh, is I get to see uh, the new year. Every, you know, every single time there's a new fall, I get to see just the incredible rush that is the students coming back or maybe the students showing up for the very first time. And what I love about that whole transitional time is I get to see the reactions, okay? Now, what I mean by that is I get to see these people who are either being thrown into a brand new environment or maybe have been away from the environment for a while that are coming back. And as they get back, there's always that period, kind of a little space of time where they've got to uh, refigure out how to react, right? Where they're reacting to it. Uh, Some of you are reacting to roommates, Right, for the very first time. If you're a freshman, maybe you've never had a roommate before in your entire life. Some of you, you were back home living this summer. You were away on an internship or at a job or whatever. And now you're back and you're living with your roommates again. Right? I remember uh, my freshman year moving into those dorms. We moved in the very first day that we could. Myself and my roommate, we were so excited. Uh, just walked in and thought, how? How will we rule this 10 foot by 10 foot domain? Right? Like, 
what kingdom shall we establish right here? And we actually took uh, our modular furniture and we built, people would normally stack like a dresser and a shelf or whatever. We stacked all of our furniture on top of themselves and we made a tower uh, in the middle of our room that was against fire code violations. You probably don't want to do that. But there's something that you react, or there's some way that you react to that environment. Maybe you've had roommates for a while. You're coming back and you're like, this is the year that we're going to have a clean house. It's going to happen, Right? With God as my witness, we will be clean. And then there's like already soda like on your bed. And you're like, well, okay, never mind. You're like, that's, I give up, right? Because you realize like there's some sort of reaction that has to happen in that environment when you have those roommates. I know that some of us, uh, we are reacting to relationships. Maybe some of us, we've had this long distance relationship all summer, right? Where you had to go home and she had to go home and you've been miles apart, and you've been having to just call each other every day, right, or text, or Skype, right, that's the only contact you have, and so so all of a sudden, you're back in the same town again, and you're so excited, right, and you're just like, you just want to be in their presence, right, and you're just like touching their face, you're like, oh my gosh, like, you're real, this is awesome, right, I forgot how great your nose felt, oh my gosh, I love you, right, like, you have, you have this moment where you're just, you're reacting to this relationship, being together again, or maybe you had a long-distance relationship all summer, uh, but the other person didn't know they were in the relationship with you, right, because you were just kind of watching them from afar, while browsing their photos, right, of those trips they took with their family, and they, you see each other again, right, you're back together, and they're like, hey, I had this, oh my gosh, I had this awesome internship, and you're like, I know, it looked great, right? Like maybe you had some sort of that, right? And you're reacting, you have a reaction, you're, you're starting this relationship, relationship up for maybe the first time. Or maybe, maybe we're all, all of us are reacting to campus life, right? Campus life is crazy, right? You've already maybe been moving in, maybe you're living on campus as a freshman. Uh, maybe you're just walking around campus, and you're seeing new buildings that somehow popped up over the space of the summer. You're seeing uh, new organizations that are just like stuffing swag down your throat, Right, I heard Howdy Week was like awesome because we were just like throwing t-shirts and light pens or whatever. Right, and that's all happening and it's exciting, but it requires our, us to sort of react. We have to find out some way to deal with it. Uh, one of uh, my friends here, Grace, she in fact uh, was homeschooled for all of her life, all the way up to 18. And then to her first public area schooling that she had was here at A&M. So she showed up on campus, was super excited, but not really sure where to go. So she was getting stressed about whether, where, whether she was going to get to her class on time. And she didn't want to disappoint her teacher or anything like that, right? And so she walks in, eventually finds the building, goes into the classroom. It's one of those like 450-person lecture halls. And she realizes, oh, here, no one cares about me awesome, right? Like she realized, oh, this is very different from class in my living room. Like this is a different environment, right? We've all been thrown into this environment. We have to learn how do I react within this? It's basically as if we've all been picked up and thrown into the pool, right? You've been walking along, you just get pushed in. And as soon as you hit that water, you're in it. And as soon as you're in it, you've got to decide what am I going to do about this, right? What, how am I going to react, to this situation, to this culture, right? Because these are all new cultures or old cultures that we are being immersed in. And the truth is, when you hit that water, you're either going to sink or you're going to swim. That's it. How are you going to react to these cultures that are all coming upon you? How are you going to react to these environments you've been thrown into? And this is a crucial question. This question is so huge that we're, in fact, going to spend all of this semester talking about these cultures, talking about the reactions that we're going to have to these cultures. Talking about how do we react to the culture in our classroom or in our family or in marriage 
or in the workplace or in sexuality? You know, what, how are we going to react to these different cultures in government or with abortion? How are we going to react to those cultures that we get thrown into? Because we're either going to sink or we're going to swim. So which will it be? How can we prepare? And as we look at those things, it's important to realize when I say culture, I don't just mean uh, how you view the world. I mean, what do you do with the world? It's not just a lens. Culture is actually a lifestyle. It's not the way that you look at the world. It's how do you live in the world? Culture is action. Culture is creation. And as we are looking in this culture, as I'm thrown into these cultures where people are creating and, and people are moving and acting, I say reaction, we react, because it's not really a well-prepared response, right? It's not like I have some sort of great plan that I deliver, right? Instead, how do we react? What's your reflex, your knee-jerk reaction when the doctor hits you with that hammer and your leg kicks, right? How do you react to the culture? If it's coming at you right here, which way are you going to move? What are you going to do without even thinking? What's your reaction? Because we've all been thrown into these cultures. We're all going to have to react. And when we look in Scripture, what we see over and over and over again, the life of Daniel and the lives of other men and women in the Bible, is that God consistently calls us to react in a way that glorifies him. God calls us to have a culture reaction that brings glory to him. We see it over and over and over again. And, and he does it because the truth is that our entire world is built upon cultural reactions. Everything that we do, everything that we experience, it's the product of a cultural reaction. At some point, someone thought to themselves, you know what, I'm really hungry, but I don't want to cook food, so let's make a restaurant. Right? Let's, let's create this industry as a reaction to how I feel, to the way that I'm living, to the way the world works. Let's create, let's have a reaction and create this whole industry of restaurants. Right? Now you can go to all these millions of places, even just in College Station. You, there's like 50,000 chicken finger options that you can go to, right? And it's beautiful. It's the work of God in College Station, right? Right there. Where you see, wow, what am I going to do? What can I, what can I uh, imbibe into my, bu- mm, that's not a word. What can I eat, Right? What can I imbibe in? That's a thing. What can I consume? There we go. What am I going to eat because I've reacted in this way? We look out into our world and we see air conditioning, right? Someone at some point thought, you know what? I am warm. I'm kind of moist. It's uncomfortable. Let's make air conditioning, right? Let's install this in all of our buildings and all these magical places where you walk in, right? People create those misters in like the cool zone at like Six Flags or it sprays water on you and blows a fan, right? That's, ama- that's the greatest cultural reaction ever, right? We have these things where someone thought, I'm warm. What, how am I going to react? I create. I create this whole new culture, this whole new industry. Someone at A&M thought, you know what? I really like yelling at football games, but I don't feel like I'm heard. So why don't we all yell the same thing, right? And so we have yell leaders who have organized and they, they brainwash you at fish camp. And so you show up at midnight yell, you show up at the football game, you're ready, right? You've got the hand signals and you're ready. You're like, okay, slap them in the throat until they're dead, right? Kyle Field, whoop, right? And you're just excited. And you're just so pumped about this football game, right? Because we're all yelling the same thing. And that was a reaction to the way that the world was. That was a cultural reaction, 
At some point, someone in this world thought, you know what? I don't really think that that people group is very important. I don't think that this maybe gender doesn't really matter. So let's just make some of them our sexual slaves. Let's just force them to do things for me because I own them. Let's make them property. Someone somewhere in our world thought, you know what? Marriage looks really hard. So let's just live together. Or maybe I think that marriage is hard. So let's just get divorced. Someone in our world thought, you know what? I don't like those people. Or I don't like that viewpoint. So why don't we just tear each other down and attack each other verbally or physically? Let's just, let's just go at it. And the strong survives. Someone thought that and reacted in that way. And now our world is the way it is. Because our world is built upon cultural reactions. And the truth is that we look out into our world. Many of those reactions are wrong. Are so wrong. And the tragedy behind that is when there's a bad reaction, people always get hurt. That's why the bad reactions that our world experiences in terms of sexuality or in terms of marriages, the the fact that people say, you know what, I'm just going to get divorced, I'm just going to live with you, means that we have a third of our American kids, a third, live in a broken home without their dad. One out of three. These reactions have created a society where we have just over a million abortions in America every year. And half of those are performed on women that are either 24 or younger. Every year. I know that by the time you made it to this seat, I know by the time you made it to college at the age of 18, I know that one in five of you girls have been sexually abused. I know that one in 20 guys, same thing. By the age of 18. I look out at this world and I see brokenness. And what's sad is that our world does the same thing. The people around us, they see it too. Which is why 7% of the adults in America, 7%, suffer from major depression. And it's not even counting all the different anxiety disorders or, or other stress-related things. It's just major depression hits 7% of our adults. Because they look at this world and they're saying, Wow. There's hurt and there's pain, and I don't know what to do. Because we've got some of the wrong reactions in our culture. This is why Paul told us in Romans 8 that we know that the whole creation has been groaning, groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Paul's telling us, look, there are hurt people. Our creation is groaning. So when I see that, when I'm faced with that reality, when I see those wrong reactions that create this brokenness and this pain, how do I react to that? How do I react to that culture in a way that glorifies God? That's a tough question. Something that you're going to struggle with even after this, you know, 30-minute sermon. This is a big issue. But thankfully, through his word, God has given us some instruction through the life of Daniel, through the life of other men and women. There is a path. There is a direction that we can go in. There's a point on that horizon. There's hope. See, when I was a freshman 
at a and I started living uh, in Dunn. And at that time, Dunn was just men. It was just dudes. And uh, so because of that, it was called Dirty Dunn because it was disgusting. Uh, it smelled like death and looked like a third world country. And there was just filth everywhere. It was amazing. Like ceilings were dirty. You're like, how does that even happen? Right? It was uh, incredible. Uh, so my roommate and myself, we decided, you know what? We are going to change Dunn, right? Starting with our room, we're just gonna we're gonna bring sweeping reform to this nation of dirty done. And so we decided to get a whiteboard. And we took that little whiteboard and we stuck a marker onto it, and then we stuck it to the front of our dorm room door. We said, This is it. This is where change happens. We said, We're gonna create this beautiful space of free speech, of just the ability for people to express themselves artistically. Right? We're gonna have this little, just this little window where people can leave us encouraging notes throughout the day, right? This is what we're going to have on our door here in Dunn, full of men. And what we discovered, it took about, I don't know, like three hours. And we came back and saw our beautiful board was covered in basically the equivalent of a real-life YouTube's comment section, okay? There were like some of the most creative, like cursing words I've ever seen. It was amazing. Like, Someone sat there with a thesaurus, like a dirty thesaurus and just like went to town with these amazing combinations. Just, just the worst insults I've ever seen in my entire life. It was incredible. And it was covered in these elaborate drawings that would normally involve like one of our mothers. And we were like, wow, that's incredible. Right? Like it was so ornate. They would use different colors and it was just like all over the whole board. And we we're like, this is amazing. And whenever we saw this, whenever we'd walk up right until onto like the filth of our society. We just think, okay, well, let's just, you know, erase that. I'm sure, what a fluke, you know, like, I guess there was just a few bad apples walked by, you know, no big deal. Well, let's go ahead and keep this project of, you know, free speech going. Uh, but it would always fill up every single time we would leave and we would come back and we'd see it, it would just be, ugh, dis- just disgusting. Uh, and every time that we saw it, we just, we thought, okay, well, what are we going to do, right? Our, our whiteboard culture seems to be somewhat broken. So what are we going to do to fix this. And we decided, okay, you know what? Let's reason with them, all right? So we would write some messages. We'd be like, hey, let's, let's keep it clean, guys. You know, like, let's just, let's all be friends. It's all, you know, it's just a whiteboard. And, and they would, you know, like erase it or like draw arrows and write <laughs> terrible words, right? Like, and they would just, they would go against it. So we're like, okay, well, maybe we write a Bible verse, right? So we tried writing a Bible verse. We're like, look at God's, look what God's word says about love and everything. And they'd be like, rah, rah, you know, and write these things. And they would like somehow change the Bible verse until it was like complete heresy. And we we're like, all right, well, that's not good, right? And so we would have to erase that. And eventually, over after just a few days of like this battle uh, with our whiteboard, we decided, well, I don't know what to do. We, I remember standing there with, my, with Ben and we were like, I, gosh, what do we, I, I give up. I give up. And we just took the board, we took it down, and we just stuck it in our closet. And it was just sad and covered in erased curse words for the rest of the year. Because we didn't know what to do with it. We just, we just took it away. We just kind of withdrew it from the society. So it couldn't be hurt anymore. And, and the truth is, is that a lot of times, and that's what we do. A lot of times, that's our reaction. When we're confronted with a hurt to society, when we're confronted with a broken culture, Often we, 
just don't know what to do. In a recent study, uh, they were surveying all these Christians, and they asked them, uh, these Christians, 18 to 29, okay, so your age bracket, 18 to 29 years old, they're asking them a bunch of different questions about their religion, their faith, and all these things, and 84% of those Christians, 84% said that they had, quote, no idea how the Bible applied to their professional lives. In other words, they had no idea how the Bible, how their faith applied to their lives outside of either the home or outside of the church. They didn't, outside of those environments, they had no idea. 84%. Many times when we're confronted with this culture around us, when we're thrown into that pool, we don't know what to do and we just freeze. Many times when we're thrown in, man, we withdraw. Right? We'll condemn it. We'll be like, oh, that's bad. And so we just withdraw from it. Another college pastor here in town, a friend of mine, was talking to me about this sort of informal survey he was doing in College Station Bryan, where he was talking to these leaders of all these different organizations, Christian sororities, Christian fraternities, Christian you know, churches or parachurch organizations. And he was talking to all of them to try to get a feel for how many students are actually actively involved in some sort of Christian community. So, you know, come in regularly, you know, some involved, engaged, maybe in a small group of some sort. How many students in our town? And what he found was that about 10% of the students in Bryan College Station at Blinden A&M, about 10% of them were involved in a Christian community. Which means that 90% are not. 90%. And for every one of you here right now, there's nine just nine people. He was saying that this is a problem because we are seeing a broken culture and our reaction is either we don't know what to do at all or we withdraw from it. That leaves a vacuum. That leaves an empty space. And that is useless. That does nothing. And Paul knew this. That's why he says in the next verse, he says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul alludes to this hope that we have in the future that we're going to get to a point where these things are done away with, where this world is over. We don't have to worry about it. But in the meantime, we are groaning along with our culture. We're groaning. We see the pain. We see the hurt. And either we buy into it or we just don't know what to do with it, or we just pull away. None of those are good. None of those will change anything. God calls us to react in a way that glorifies him. None of those options bring glory to the Lord. None of those options are going to reach that 90% of the students in College Station and Bryan. 90%. For all of our talk of a Christian bubble here in College Station, here at the campus of A&M, there's a lot of people outside of that bubble. We've got to reach them. We have to somehow react in a way that affects them. Our culture is groaning in our marriages, in our views of sexuality, in our government. Our culture is groaning. How are we going to react? What are we going to do? When we look at Daniel, we see him react in an amazing way. 
We see Daniel who was literally picked up out of his country, out of his people, and thrown into a pagan society. He was forced out of his home and put as a prisoner in a new culture that was broken, that was dirty, that was so messed up. He was a prisoner of that society. And they told him, you know what? You're going to stay here and you're going to learn all of our ways. And you're going to rise up through our ranks. You're going to learn all the things that we do. That's what you're going to do, Daniel. You're going to stay here. You're going to learn. And you're going to become a really great member of our society. You're going to just become absorbed by our culture. And when Daniel was confronted with that fact, he couldn't withdraw, right? That wasn't even an option. So when he saw this culture that was groaning, that was hurt, that was broken, he reacted with three big things, three main elements. He reacted with God's grace, with God's word, and God's people. Three themes that we see throughout Scripture of how we are reacting to the culture around us. You see, when we see Daniel show up in the society, right? He's a prisoner. He can't do anything. When, when I think of that kind of situation, when I think of maybe a movie that shows that, the, the guy who's a prisoner, right, he's going to start like an underground rebellion, right? He's going to like form like some sort of secret club where everyone like has a handshake or like a bloop bloop or I don't know, like something that like signifies like, okay, you're cool, right? And then you like, you dig a tunnel like underneath your room and you cover it with like a rug, and then whatever, you know, and so you, and then you escape, right? Like that's the goal, right? Anytime you're a prisoner. But instead, the very first thing we see Daniel do, the very first action we see him perform is in what we just read earlier. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. The number one quality we see about Daniel wasn't that he was an organizer, or that he was great at manipulating the guards, right? The first quality we see about him is the fact that he found favor, and compassion in the eyes of the people around him, of those in charge. It tells us that God was working in that, that God used Daniel, that God was orchestrating Daniel receiving that favor, acting gracefully, loving. Every time we see Daniel speak, he does out of love and out of grace. He never condemns the king or talks about the horrors of this culture. What we see Daniel do is he speaks softly, out of grace, and people listen because he's bringing God's grace to this environment. He's bringing God's undeserved love to this culture. That's his reaction. If you thought in your mind, uh, if we played a little word association, let's say I throw out the word loving. First thing that pops in your mind, just kind of grab a hold of it. Or if I say nice, first thing you think of, or kind. Some of you maybe thought grandma, right? Or grandmama, or poopsie, you know, whatever you call it, I don't know. But you've got some name, right? Like, yes, that's that loving, kind, that's who I think of, right? Maybe some of you thought of, if you're like me, being completely honest, as I was preparing this and thought to myself, what do I think of? I thought of Mormons. Because they're so nice, right? They're so kind. Every single time I interact with them, it's like, oh my gosh, you're the nicest person in the world, right? You think of these things, right? These, these ideas pop into your mind. Maybe if you're really on top of things, you would have thought of a Mormon grandma, right? And boom, like love explosion, right? Like that would have been amazing. But we think of these ideas and the problem is that when we played that game with people on the street, if we play that game on campus tomorrow as everyone's kind of getting started up, I doubt a lot of them would think of, ooh, Christians, 
or, ooh, the church, or religious people, right? No one's going to think that because we are no longer known as graceful people. We're no longer known as loving people. There are pockets. There are some. Hopefully most of us. But the truth is, by and large, Christianity is frowned upon. By and large, our society feels condemned by Christians. They feel attacked. So they're not going to think of those Christians as loving or gracious. Are you kidding me? But when we look at Daniel, he was loved. He found favor. He found compassion. How did he do that? It's because he brought grace. It's because when he saw society, he didn't say, hey, all these things you're doing, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Oh, stop, nope, nope, don't touch, don't, bad, right? Like, that's not, that wasn't his reaction. His reaction was grace and love and speaking softly. When I see someone in pain, when I see someone living in the wrong way, my job, my mission isn't to walk up to that person and tell them all the things that are wrong. My job, my mission is what Paul lays out for me in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's my mission. That's my first response. If I see someone in sin, I don't point out and all the things that are wrong. I don't condemn that person. I bring the gospel. I beg them to be reconciled to the God who loves them, that wants them, that wants a relationship with them. I tell them, look, God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for your sins. God loves you so much that while you were still a sinner, while you were still in open rebellion against him, Christ died for you. We know that God loves us because he sent his son to die. That Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life on this earth. The life that we could not live on our own. And then he died on our behalf. He died the death that we deserved. He was buried, but he rose again, showing his victory, his power over sin and over death. When I see someone in pain, when I see my culture that is broken, my response, my reaction should be grace and love and telling them about God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should be my number one reaction. It's not to condemn. People around us are hurt. So let's bring grace. Let's react in that way. What would happen if that's what we became known for once again? If we returned to those early church days where the Christians were known as loving, gracious? How would that change your family or your friends or your classroom? That is powerful. And unfortunately, we, we just glance right over it in favor of condemnation. But let's just bring grace. Let's let God worry about the sin in their lives. Let's let God work that out with them later. It needs to be worked on, but not by me. Let's bring that grace. Let's react with grace. But more than grace, we also see Daniel react with God's word. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. 
When Daniel decides not to eat and drink what he was being given, it wasn't because Daniel just said, oh, I don't really like that. It wasn't because it was against his kind of idea or opinions. You see, Daniel, he took what was being given to him and he held it up not against his own ideas. He held it up against God's word, God's scripture. And he said, well, these don't fit. So that's when he rejected That's when he said, okay, well, I'm going to stick to this. I'm going to stick to God's word. He didn't go on and on about what he thinks and how this, what this means and what that is. He just can quote scripture and say, well, I can't eat that, that, and that, and that because it's clearly stated in the Bible. How many times when we see brokenness in our culture, how many times do we react to our culture in a way where we just say, well, let's analyze. Like, why does, why does our culture do this? Right? Why do these people act like this? Why do they think this way? Let's look under a microscope. Let's try to figure it out and logic our way through it. And what does that do? What does that accomplish? Daniel moves in, and he just brings God's word. I don't know if you've heard of a Christian rapper, a guy named Lecrae, uh, but I've been in youth ministry for six years, so like Lecrae is all around me, boo boo, all the time, right? So Lecrae is awesome. He's an amazing man, and not only because of his music, right? His music is awesome. His videos are really cool, but he's an amazing man of God. He has an Instagram account, which is amazing and hilarious, in case you didn't know. Uh, but he puts up just golden nuggets, uh, just like this, all the time. <laughs> right? Brilliant. I love that, right? That's what kids are for. Joke Instagram videos, right? Like that's, we see Lecrae doing this, right? And he's amazing. He works in all these different ways. But what I really, really love about him isn't the fact that he, you know, teaches theology to his one-year-old. That I love him. Because he saw a groaning society. He saw a groaning culture. He saw people that were hurt and confused. And instead of just talking about it with his friends and discussing the issues, condemning it, or maybe just critiquing it, what he did is he moved into that culture and he reacted by creating new music. He has so many songs where he's just quoting scripture word for word, and it's beautiful where he moves into that space and he just brings God's word. That's how he reacts. Man, we see people around us that are so confused, that are so confused by Christianity and by the Bible and they don't know what's going on. They hear this over here and they hear this over there. So let's bring God's word. Let's bring God's answers, God's truth. Not mine, not my opinion, not what I think. Let's bring the truth that God has given us in his scripture. Let's just bring that. Let's react in that way. If we do that, gosh, amazing things would happen. People would respond so well because it's God's word. We know that God's word is sharper than any two-double-edged sword. We know that it cuts to the core of man. We know that God's word can change lives in a way that my words will not. My words are useless. My talk right now is useless apart from God's word. So let's bring it. Let's react with God's word. Let's bring his grace. Let's bring his word. But more than that, let's also bring his people. Let's react with God's people. At the very end of that little passage we read, it says, At the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now the point of this passage isn't to say, Therefore, go and eat vegetables. Right? Like that's, that is not godly. Right? Like that is not, that is not scripture. If you've eaten a veggie burger, you know that is not from the Lord. Right? That is, 
That is from a dark place, right? It's, it's okay, but it's not, that will not be in heaven, right? Like, that's not, that's not how we're rolling, right? Instead, the point of this passage isn't to say, go and eat. It is to tell us, look, look who he's doing this with. As Daniel's reacting in this way, he not only has a core group around him, not only does he have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not only does he have this kind of core group of fellow believers, but as they're reacting in this way, they draw in other people. They draw in the boys that were in their classes. They draw in the men that were in their, you know, in their organization. They were playing intramural you know, ultimate frisbee with these guys, and these guys were drawn in because of the way that they reacted, because of the way that they reacted with one another, because of the unity that they had with one another, that was attractive. A few weeks ago, I got an opportunity to go out to Impact, and I was at a, the ministry fair, which is where we just set up a bunch of booths of all these different organizations, and all the freshmen come just streaming in like a tidal wave, and you just try to talk to a few of them and throw candy and pamphlets at them, right? So you do that for a few hours. That's what a ministry fair is. But in order to prepare for ministry fair, right, we had to like plug in TVs and set up signs and all that stuff. And so as I was plugging in our TVs, setting up, you know, our little slideshows, I was using a power strip that we brought. And as I'm plugging things in, pulling into the extension cord, this woman came up from another organization right across the way. Her table was near ours. She came up. She says, hey, would you, would you mind if, uh, would, would you mind if I used your power strip? Right? She had this like one thing to plug in. Would you, would you mind? And she said it that timidly, like. And so I was like, "Yeah, like, definitely." And she was like, "Oh, oh, thanks, thank you so much, right?" And I like this. Mo- it was such a strange moment that I just had to ask her. I was like, "Hey, if you don't mind, like, why are you so timid about this, right? Like, I'm not an imposing figure, right? Like, you can just like kind of tip me. Like, if I get to right about here, I'm gonna like fall over, right? Like, I my center of gravity is like over here, so like I'm like." I'm not a threat, right? Like, that's not what I am. I'm not identified as that. And, and so this woman, why, why are you being so timid? She's like, well, you know, like, sometimes people are just, uh, you know, you know how people get about their stuff. And I was like, what? No. Like, I, that sounds terrible. And so from that point on, I made a point. I thought, okay, well, knowing this insane culture that exists, I'm going to go. And I made a point to go to every table around us and be like, hey, do you want to use our power strip? And they're like, oh my gosh, yes. Like, that sounds, that sounds great. I'm like, okay, right, bring it in. So we had all these kind of cords going on our power strip and all these different tables. And we were just like high-fiving each other with our power, right? And it's exciting, right? And we were so pumped. And it was so sad because I realized in that moment, man, these people they must have had some situation where they asked another person, maybe at Impact Ministry Fair, they asked a Christian organization, hey, can we use your power strip? And they're like, uh, mm, no, right? Like, <laughs> uh, right? Like, that's, that's what happened. It must have. Otherwise, why would they be so timid? Why would they be so afraid? If they hadn't been rejected in the past? Are you kidding me? A bunch of churches and parachurch organizations, everyone on the exact same team, fighting against each other like that? Being disunified like that? That's sad. That's the world we live in. How many conversations have you had with your family, with your friend, with your roommate, about maybe some theological issue, or you listen to some speaker, or you heard something, or you read a book, and the, the conversation just gets, like, angry, just, like, mad? Why? There are some issues that we grab a hold of, right? I grab a hold of the gospel. 
I know that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I know that Jesus Christ was God. He died for my sins. Yeah, I grab a hold of that. I'll fight you to the grave over that. But some of these issues that we're grabbing a hold of, that we should be holding an open hand when we just clench it. And that's not right. And it leads to disunity. And if we're not unified with one another, do you think anyone's going to want to join that? you think that's attractive to anyone? So many people are burned by the church because they walk into some church where they grew up and it was split because of the worship style. Or it was split because someone said this thing and that person said that thing and just it just dissolved. I had friends growing up who would just say, I am not, I'm not pro-organized religion. I hate organized religion. I hated it. Because he, this one friend, he went to a junior high lock-in. And he was with some friends, and this, there was some hubbub about people spilled goldfish, like the snack on the ground. And he and his friends got blamed for it. And apparently the youth pastor at the time was just really upset with them. And told them, like, you guys need to stay. you got to stay and clean. And then after you clean it up, you got to go sit in this room. You don't get to have fun for the next few hours. And my friend was so burned by that, by seeing this just bad way of handling conflict and conversation. When he saw that happen, he said, you know what, I'm never going to another church ever again. And I don't know if he has. That's why we need to react with God's people. We need to react with unity. That's why at Grace we have small groups. That's why we promote things like do loss and growth groups. Things where you can come and be plugged in. It's not just for you. It's not just for the people that come here on Sundays that show up, that are on our leadership track and all that great stuff. It's for the people outside of this room. That they would see you loving one another, having fun with one another, encouraging one another, being accountable with one another. Because when they see that, when they see that all of you are unified, that you're all going in the same direction, man, they are drawn in. This culture, this world is full of people that are lost. that are just spiraling through life. No idea where they're going. No direction. So let's react with God's people. Let's react with unity. Attractive unity that will draw them in. That will give them a place. That's why we do what we do. You see, through all of these things, through all these pieces, we've got to have all of them. If I'm bringing grace, but it's not founded in God's word, and I'm just a lone wolf, man, that's not effective. If I'm just full of scripture, and I know all these Bible verses, and I can just quote it like crazy, but yet I don't have love, Paul says you might as well just be a clanging symbol, a gong. What's the point? We've got to have these pieces. If, I, if I'm full of grace and full of God's truth, but yet I don't have a community around me, I'm going to fall so fast. Because man does not live alone. We've got to bring all these pieces. We have to react in this way. Let me just tell you, I know that this is a brand new year, brand new semester. Some of you are here for the very first time. That's awesome. I'm so excited. A lot of us are. Some of us are maybe coming back to a Grace College experience that is maybe brand new. Whether this is your first time or whether this is maybe your hundredth time. It's still going to be kind of brand new, right? Because I'm different. A lot of our staff is different. Our leaders are different. And I know that in that moment, introductions are crucial. So I just want to be clear with you right now what we're all about. Okay, just the last two minutes. I'm just going to kind of explain to you what is grace 
all about? What is Grace College? Why do we exist? What do, what do we do? And this is it. We're committed to that same idea. Same as Daniel, same as men and women that we see throughout Scripture, we are committed to God's grace, to his word, and to his people. We want to react to our culture in that way. I don't know if this blows your mind, Inception style, but that's kind of where our name came from, right? Grace Bible Church, (gasps) right? Whoa, what? That's what we are. That's what we're about. That's why we exist. That's why I'm standing here right now. That's why we have leaders with yellow stickers on their chests that are saying, hey, talk to me about getting connected. Because we want to bring these things. We want to react to our culture in this way. And we want to not only react here, but we want you to join us. We want you to come with us. We want you to join our small groups and come to these events. We want you to be a part of what God's doing in College Station. Because we are in a culture that is hurt, that is broken, that is lost and confused. So we need to react in a way that brings glory to God. We need to react with his grace and with his word, with his people. That's why Grace Bible Church exists. So we're going to sing a couple more songs. And as we do that, I just want to encourage you, think about this. Pray to God. Ask him about where are you called to react this semester, this year, maybe tomorrow. Is it an organization that you're in? Is it maybe your roommates that you're not quite getting along with? Is it issues within your family? Where are you reacting this year? Where are going to be your opportunities to bring God's grace and word? Where are your opportunities to have God's people around you in unity? Where is that going to pop up? Think about that and let's pray. God, we are just so grateful again that you've brought us to this place. That, God, you've set us up in College Station, Texas at this time. God, we thank you that there are going to be so many new opportunities this year, that there's going to be so many new faces, new challenges, and new joys. God, we thank you for the newness of life. But God, we are ill-equipped to face those things. God, we are not ready for all of those changes. So Lord, we just pray that you would be faithful to equip us. That God, you would be faithful to bring us to a point, to set us on a path where we're more in line with you. That God, we're seeking you, chasing you. That God, we would be full of your grace and your word. That we'd be united with your people. Whether it's at Grace Bible Church or another church in town. God, we just pray that we would be plugged in somewhere. If you would, take a moment right now and pray. Ask God, where does this reaction need to happen in your life? Where can you react with his grace, word, and people? Where is that going to happen this year? Ask him to show you. Ask him to guide you. Ask him to give you the strength to do so. Please just ask him that right now. Lord, God, we want to sing. God, we thank you that you've allowed us to sing. God, we thank you that you have put so many beautiful pieces in our lives that we are able to sing about. God, we thank you that you gave us your son, Jesus Christ. It's the ultimate sign of love. That God, we could sing about that from here for all of eternity. 
Because God, that was so amazing. And God, we thank you for that. Lord, we just pray that this year, God, just move in our lives. God, use us to change the people around us. God, use us. That's all we want. God, that's what we're here for. God, that's what we desire. Lord, that's what we want to sing about. It's you and you alone. God, we want to react to this world around us by glorifying you. So God, let us do that. Lord, we pray this all according to your will. Amen.